You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Welcome back to Inside the Athletic Mind. I am one of your co-hosts, Lauren Williams, and I regret to inform you that I am going to be flying solo today as Taylor moves back across the world to Germany and MJ is out celebrating one of her little guy's birthdays. But regardless, I am so stoked that I was able to have this conversation with Megan Myers today. She is truly one of a kind when it comes to her hockey experience, where she started, and where she ended up. Um, For a brief intro, which I'll explain a little bit more, and Megan will talk about as well, she's from Las Vegas, Nevada, and actually now is the assistant coach at a brand new Division I women's ice hockey team called Stonehill College. I'm super excited to have this conversation and I can't wait to get into it with her. So enjoy the episode and as always, if you liked it, please feel free to leave us a review or put a comment down below in the comment section. We'd love to hear your feedback. All right, into the conversation we go with Megan Myers. All right, so... We're back. I'm super stoked to have this person on because, you know, she's one of my best friends. And also, in addition to that, um, coming off of our last episode, talking about team building and kind of getting into the sense of what it means to be a student athlete throughout this entire show. I think it's great that we have Megan Myers on, who is currently the assistant coach of a brand new Division One women's hockey program at Stonehill College. Um, she has been affectionately referred, been referred to by not only myself, but many of her peers as the best division one women's hockey player to play division three hockey. She was just honored at her alma mater by getting inducted into the hockey hall of fame. No, the athletics hall of fame there. So Mm -hmm. yeah, big beauty, um, on that end. And she's also such a veteran of women's hockey in general coming out of Vegas to playing division three hockey to playing professionally for how many seasons? Five, five Uh, seasons, five or six. I can't count. It's too long ago. Yeah. Five or six, whatever the number is. Um, when I came into playing my first year professionally, she was my captain at the Worcester blades and the CWHL learned a lot from her, whether or not she wants to admit it. That's another story, but yeah, I'm super psyched to introduce Megan Myers. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, don't mind my wallpaper. I think I told you already that I wish I would have known I was going to be on today. I would have changed my landscape in the back, but um, <laughs> yeah, those are probably the nicest thing you ever said to me. This is great. My gosh. I don't know <laughs> if that's a compliment or if I just haven't been complimentary no, it was a, it was a compliment. Any compliment. Any compliment from you is a good compliment, so I'll oh. take it. Oh, well, thanks. But... I think I'm, I'm super stoked to have this conversation and we were like really impromptu scheduled this, but, um, I think a lot of what we want to talk about on this podcast is just what every female athlete is thinking about, but doesn't have the resources to find the answers to, or there's a lot of misinformation out there about it. So whether that's mental health or what being a college student athlete actually looks like to, you know, how do you build effective teams at the college and elite levels? Like we were talking about team building last week. I think you have a really unique perspective on this because you've been at every level, right? Like you, you started playing in a community where women's hockey was not a thing. You were playing roller. You were playing any other sport. You were traveling all the way to California, which again, women's hockey, not really a thing there at the time to like being in the NCAA to playing professionally, and now you're coaching. So I think that's a really unique perspective that we need to capitalize on here. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a crazy ride. It's It's been a journey. And when I asked my dad if I could play hockey in, in the Las Vegas desert, he said, sure, Megan, go for it. While thinking that, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't serious. And he brought me out there. He put a 
catcher equipment, you know, the knee pads for catchers. He gave me those and I borrowed some socks, a stick and some rental skates and he threw me out there and fell in love with it from day one. And then it's kind of crazy to think that it's brought me so many different places in this country, in North America, in the world. And, you know, and playing at every level, that's a good point. I never really thought that, you know, I really have stepped foot in almost every level at this point. Um, even though Stonehill, we haven't officially started, we're starting this fall, but this will be my first experience at the division one level. And um, it's very different on each level. That's for sure. And I know, I think the, the information and the knowledge that I've gained over my career has up to this point has really helped me get there, but you're right. It is, there's a bunch of different jumps there. Well, let's rewind for a second. You were wearing catcher equipment. Oh, my dad had no clue. My parents never played hockey. I don't think they cared about my style points. My style points have not gotten better. If anyone's wondering, I probably could still be wearing those catcher equipment pads, but yeah, I wore those. I think I had like a old school CCM helmet, rusted cage, something my dad found at a play against sports, but, um, just threw me out there. Yeah. I got shin guards like the next like month and a half. I was rocking those for a good month and a half before he actually figured out that that's not real. Oh my God. That's amazing. Why have I never heard that story before? I don't know. It's a good one. That's, and he threw me out for like a stick and puck, you know, where there's just like a bunch of adults who like beer league players, there's like high school kids and, you know, not a lot of kids my age just shooting pucks everywhere. And I'm just out there just zooming around with my catcher equipment pads on. Um, but yeah, it was a kind of cool story. And even from Vegas, like I didn't know that you could break a stick and it'd be okay. When I first broke my stick the first time, I thought it was the end of the world. I was never going to play again. So the difference between, I can only imagine like growing up playing hockey in Canada and the knowledge that comes with that to someone who knew absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting. No, I like, I grew up wanting to break sticks. I was like, I'll be a good hockey player when I start breaking sticks. Oh my, I got so I got so attached to those things. And one time I think my dad used it as a punishment where I, I think I was bullying my sister and my brother one time. And he goes, come out to the driveway with me. And he took my hockey stick and he sp- spray painted it neon pink <laughs> spray painted the whole thing. He goes, you have to use this. And I was crying. It's just, it's, it's been a wild ride now looking back on it. That's uh, yeah. Vegas. It's grown a lot since then. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. You're getting the opportunity to go back and do a camp there. Which is pretty sweet. How do you feel about that? It's a full circle kind of moment. When I was growing up, you know, I played boys until 14, 15 years old. And, you know, I was one of three coming out of Las Vegas playing hockey. And now, you know, I'm going back. I hope Lauren joins me as well. We're going to go back and and help one of my old Vegas teammates, who's who's a woman. And she's, you know, starting to grow the girls hockey game over there. And there's age groups, 12, 14, 16 new age groups, full teams of these girls who are growing up in the desert and, you know, trying to really grow the game there. And so it's, uh, I'm kind of getting the chills thinking about it. It's a, it's a really cool opportunity that, you know, these non-hockey markets, you know, there are girls out there that want to play. And, you know, I think the Golden Knights really gave them that opportunity, but at the end of the day, I think it's pioneers like myself or any girl from California, Arizona, Lindsay Fry you know, are coming out of these places that, you know, are really changing the game there and letting girls know that they can, they can do it. It doesn't yeah. matter where you come from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like what the whole thing with the PWHPA started on is like, if you can mm-hmm. see it, you can then become it, right? Or you can be it. And I think a huge piece of the puzzle is that girls haven't been able to see themselves in the shoes beyond like getting to watch the Olympics every four years or whatever that may be. And we are making such huge strides and that's why I think we're seeing now growth being concentrated in these areas where hockey has never been Mm -hmm. hockey in the desert is I love, I'm going to keep saying that. I love it, but it's, it's, we should, I hope that she names the camp that let's call it. I I told her, I'm like, that'd be a perfect name for it. You get a lot of people attracted to it, but it's, but you're right. It's true. Like when I was, I mean, when I was growing up, I, I thought I was going to play in the NHL one day. And you know, that's the huge basis behind the PWHPA is, you know, these, these little boys, they dream of, holding the Stanley Cup above their head and playing the NHL and and what are what are we looking towards obviously you know we're not there yet playing the NHL but like what is my dream as a young girl growing up playing hockey and and so when I was a kid my dad took me 1998 U.S. women playing the Olympics and win the gold medal they were doing like a victory tour and for some reason they ended up in Las Vegas and they were playing 
the firefighters who had no reason to be playing the U.S. national like national team. We just want to go medal, <laughs> but they were playing in Vegas out of a casino rink. And my dad takes me, and that's when I first saw it. I saw Cameron Granado. I saw the C on her chest. I saw the gold medal around her neck, and I was like, "This is possible for people. Mm-hmm. These are women who you know played in different areas of our country, and you know they played at the collegiate level, and you know they won a gold medal, and and that's where it started. But that's how it starts for you know now that women are getting seen on the, the main stage and, you know, U18 is on ESPN plus last night. Like those are huge things that Oh my God, we got the TSN feed. It was amazing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's all about if you, if you can see it, you can be it. And you know, that's, that's still growing to this day. And, you know, even with Stonehill starting a new division one program, that's another piece to it. Adding more opportunities to these female athletes who, you know, want to play at the highest level that they can and, and, NCAA and, you know, giving those opportunities out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I was going to go with this, right. Is like now you're coaching and you're on the other side of it and you've been coaching for a while, right. But mm-hmm. you know, the past few seasons, you've been a coach and a player at the same time, continue to play in, in the P-Dub or in the CWHL. Um, so I want to kind of talk a little bit about like both the player perspective and the coaching perspective and I think a great place to start is like the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you going through the recruiting process when you did? For me, um, it was a little difficult. I played uh, girls hockey out of California. So, I mean, you know, the travel that it took to get to the high end tournaments to be recruited was, you know, it's a lot of money and it's a lot of time that's spent. It's a lot of, you know, years leaving on Christmas day to get to the you know, Connecticut polar bear tournament because you're going across the country. So it was a little, a little different. Um, I was very lucky and very fortunate to play in a really good team out of California where a bunch of the teammates went to high end top schools, St. Cloud, RIT, Trinity college, you know, like top end mm-hmm. mixture of D one D three. Um, but I think I was a late bloomer. Like I never really had opportunities to get informed by that. My parents never played hockey. Um, yeah. and you know, my teammates, you know, we, we kept it so close to our chest. Like you never really wanted to t- tell your teammates where you were going or what you were doing to get there. Everyone just kept it so close because it was so personal to them. Yeah. Um, so I felt kind of behind the eight ball. You know, I went through my recruiting process, visited a bunch of schools, but wasn't getting a lot of interest. Um, I visited one, one D1 campus, even though I emailed 25 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and then you know, decided, you know, what? I think D3 is the route that I'm going to land. And so I started exploring those opportunities and that wasn't coming either. My last recruiting trip was to Utica, New York. And I saw the campus. I was beautiful. But at the end of the day, I saw the rink and it's immaculate. And I was like, cool, I'm going to pick this one. This looks awesome. It's in Utica, New York. Never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I decided to go. I didn't commit till I was in May, May of my senior year. I was probably a couple of weeks before graduation when I decided to go to Utica College. And in terms now, looking at it from a Division One aspect as a Division One coach, that's extremely late in the game yeah. to you know commit to a school. And I think that's still kind of the case now, it's, especially when the fall semester was starting up. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it all came down for me was you know looking at all these places. I went to a bunch of schools. My dad took me to a bunch. We flew out to the East coast for, for, for no reason, but to look at schools. And it just took the time for me to figure out what's the best fit. Mm-hmm. What's fit to me as a student athlete, as a student first, as an athlete, what figures out financially. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like it doesn't help that I'm from Las Vegas, but geographically, how close can I get to an airport where I can get home if I need to, you yeah. know what I mean? I had to come into play too. Um, so those were all the things, but yeah, it was uh, brought down to the nitty gritty, but I, but I got it done. It's mm-hmm. quite interesting. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of funny, right? Like <laughs> even being on the other side of it, like going through it a, a few years later than you did being one of those late commits, mm-hmm. but that was like right at the beginning of my senior year, not when I was graduating. Talk about stress. Even at the beginning of your senior year, like I can Ooh. only imagine the stress. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like we're talking about this in terms of like, the really important things that actually should be on your mind when you're going through the recruiting process is like, what is the right fit for you? Um, What financially makes sense for your family? Um, Who is going to value you as a human being, as a player, as a student? Like what coach do you get that vibe from? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, what we look at is like, 
oh, what's the school? What's their notoriety? Who's my coach? Who else is going there, right? And I think it's totally natural to, when you're going through that process, look at your teammates on your junior team thinking like, oh my God, everybody's committed and I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I mean, I can believe it, right? Because you're coming from such a small market where your teammates aren't sharing that information, right? Where they're not saying like, oh, hey, I talked to so-and-so. Um, maybe you should give them a call or see if there's any other mm -hmm. spots at this school. But it's such a scarcity mindset thing that I think is still present in women's hockey because there still aren't enough opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. The community still feels so small that if we don't like completely pounce on whatever opportunity we get, somebody's going to come in and snap it up, right? Or like the way that it works is like, well, I'm only valuable or you feel this way, I'm only valuable if I'm producing every single weekend and someone's going to take my scholarship away. And if someone takes my scholarship away, then I'm done because there's nothing else other than mm -hmm. college. It's such an interesting dynamic. You know, it's so funny because I talk about how everyone kept it so close to their chest back in the day. And I probably still a little bit the same now, mm -hmm. but I think now people are a lot more open and people are yeah. saying, yeah, I'm talking to this school, this school, this school, this school, and maybe this school. And I'm, I'm going to tour this campus and I'm, you know, I have these offers on the table and then the kids around them, the players around them on that same team, hearing all that are like, Oh my God, I'm nowhere near that. They stress. Yeah. And then they're like, I need to commit now. I have this offer. Let's take it because that's here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think, instead of getting close, so close to the chest and everyone's keeping it. So it's way more open now, yeah. but adds a lot more stress to these, these young players who are like, if I don't take this opportunity, then I'm never going to get one. I think it all comes down to, you know, we need to stop watching the people around us and come back to the fact that you need to find the right place for you. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, you know, you may love Stonehill and it might be the place for you, but maybe it's not. But you're going to take, you know, you need to weigh the options. You need to kind of understand that it's about you. It's about yeah. your process. Everybody is different. Mm -hmm. Everyone different. Your recruiting process, Lauren, was different than mine. And mine is different than Tara's. And it's, you know, it's a Tara's head coach. But ours are all different. So I think it's 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 easy for me to, us to under, understand because we've been through it. But for these young athletes, I can only imagine the stress that's involved in this last couple of years of the recruitment process. Oh my God. Yeah. Well now it's not, it's not the, um, the anxiety caused by not knowing. So it's not anxiety caused by like, I don't even know how to start the process. It's anxiety caused by like fear of missing out basically. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So much FOMO so all much over FOMO. Yeah. So much FOMO and everybody is like, we've talked about this on the show before too, right? Like social media is terrible for encouraging people to compare themselves to others on every aspect. And that doesn't stop with the recruiting process. Like mm -hmm. I remember, um, like you said, you know, now everybody shares who they're talking to and they're like, yeah, I'm talking to this school, that school, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's almost like bragging rights. And then you're oh, I yeah. remember sitting there at one point thinking like, yeah, I'm talking to like two schools because I really want to go to one Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it's going to work financially. So like, I'm going to make shit up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And because I, I felt like, or on the other side of it, I was like, I'm going to make shit up for the meantime. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to email a bunch of schools that I'm not even sure I want to go to, but I just want to be able to say I'm talking to them. Right, right. Like it's, it's messed up and it's, it's not at all what the process is supposed to be about, but no, I, I think and I've told this to a lot of, you know, recruits who I talk to on the phone or, you know, in person is this should be an exciting moment. You've played hockey for so many years, for so long, put in so much work. This should be exciting. You're picking the place where you get to spend the next four years of your life. This should be a momentous moment. Yes, a little bit stressful. But if you're deciding based on, you know, what you value and what you know, what's perfect fit for you, then this should be an exciting time. But most of the time, I feel like every time I talk to a player, it's, I'm like, how's your recruiting process going? It's always stress is number one, yeah. you know, anxiety is number two. I'm like, what's your deadline? She goes, as soon as possible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it should be time that's taken that you earned. You mm -hmm. earned this time. You earned the talks. You earned the visits. You earned, you know, 
the positive affirmation from coaches because of all your hard work. And I think, you know, the joy of the recruiting process has kind of been taken out of it because of the social media and because of, you know, the bragging rights and, you know, the anxiety around committing. Um, mm -hmm. But like, I think it should be joyful. It should be fun. I wish I had more fun on it. I, I yeah. wish that I could go back that I, you know, I took the time to be like, wow, I've done this so far. Let's take this opportunity and move it elsewhere because yeah. not a lot of women in the, you know, the United States or North America, you know, have worked so hard at this, just like you have, and you have this opportunity. So, right. yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, it's a stressful time for everyone. And I can only imagine at the age of 18, trying to make this big time <laughs> decision, but it, sh it should be more, more exciting than anything. Yeah. That's the other piece too, right? Is like the recruiting process when you're choosing a school, this is like the one time where it's all about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about you and what works for you. So like, don't make it about other people. Yeah. Because the rest of your college career, you're going to be worrying about like how your actions impact your teammates, what's expected of you, what you expect of yourself. Like all of that gets blended together. But mm -hmm. in the recruiting process, it's, it's you. Like it is your decision. It's all about what works best for you and where you feel good. Yep. Later on down the road, when you're getting slotted into a lineup sheet, coach doesn't care what works best for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. I, I, yeah, I try to tell them all the time is, you know, it, like I say this thing where, you know, it should be joyful because I do, I truly believe that it should be something that, you know, you take a little bit of excitement in, but I also mm -hmm. think it's a time since like June 15th. And that's the, you know, that's the first day we start contacting sophomores and graduate high school. It's like, this is a period of self-reflection. Yeah. you got to sit down sometimes and you kind of have to think this is where I'm at. Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse in terms of my hockey ability? Here are my grades. Can I make them better? You know, what do I value? Do I value playing youth sport? Do I value, you know, staying close to home? Do I value, you know, going across the country to do what you love? It's all about taking that time to sit down and self-reflect. And I don't think, you know, even as an adult, I don't do that enough either in terms of self-reflecting it's, you know, it takes time. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's a constant reminder for these young athletes, like, hey, you know, take a minute to sit down and, and look at schools and figure out if they have every, if they fill every box on your checklist. And if they don't, that's okay. But could you live with one? Could you live with two of them filling up? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think self-reflection is huge. And that's a hard thing to try to get, you know, 18 year olds to do when life is really moving fast for them. But they, it's funny because they have no idea how fast it's going to move after they make the decision as well. Right. Yeah. College is like the best four to five years, but also like the fastest four to five oh, years. Oh yeah, they fly by. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're having a good time. It's a good thing if they fly mm -hmm. by. Yeah, I totally agree. So that's interesting. So like now as a coach, it, when you're taking kids through the recruiting process or like you're talking to potential recruits, what is like the main thing that you try to convey to them other than like the enjoyment of the piece? What are your focuses when... Like maybe a kid's reaching out to you via email or once you've got someone on campus, like what does that look like for you? Well, the recruiting process is, you know, it's, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. Um, I, you know, I, I have a bunch of emails that need to be written. I, we get a bunch every day. We get phone calls. We have, you know, scouts, scouting opportunities, whether it's showcases, camps or tournaments, you know, it's, there's a lot going on. I think when I, you know, talk to an athlete besides having the joy in it. I always preach. And I, I know I already said this, but it's all about finding the right place for you. And I yeah. think that, that that's super important. Um, I mean, do I, do I think that I could have played division one athletics? Probably. I probably could have, you know, been a fourth liner at a really good or really small division one school. And I probably would have had a way different experience than I would. I got it at Utica. Yeah. I think it's all about finding what's best for you. I encourage student athletes to make the, do the tours at not other school, at other schools. I encourage them to answer the emails. I encourage them to, you know, have the conversations over the phone with college coaches that aren't me. I think it's important that these, you know, student athletes look at everything. And if you choose Stonehill at the end of the day, that means that you really put the work in and that you really truly do want to come. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I get a lot of emails saying, you know, Stonehill is where I want to go. It's, it's awesome. And, and we like to take time to show you campus. Why do you like Stonehill? Yeah. See campus. Why do you like Stonehill? We haven't started yet. You know what I mean? It's like, 
I just want, you know, all these girls who are reaching out and all young athletes to kind of, you know, do the visits, do the research, do the self-reflection and kind of then narrow it down. Don't just choose a place because you think you like it. I want you to know you like it because this isn't, this isn't a one-year deal. This is yeah. a four-year commitment, whether the transfer portal is a thing or not, and that you're able to, you know, transfer. When I went to school, if you committed to a place, you're committed. You're in it. Four yeah. years. And that's how coaches take it. We want them to be, you know, if they choose us, we want them to be committed for four years, fully understanding what they're getting themselves into in terms of academics, the campus, everything that comes with it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you know, and sometimes I'm, I reflect after these phone calls and I'm like, did I just talk them out of it? Did I just talk them out of coming to Stonehill by telling them to reach out to other places? Yeah. Then at the end of the day, we're going to get a roster. We're going to get girls on campus who truly want to be here. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's super important. Yeah, that's that's a huge point too, right? Like, because you're looking at it as, number one, if I bring you onto the team, I want you to be here for all four years. So mm-hmm. in that sense, if you choose to not be here in four years, it either means that A, I didn't do my homework and make sure that you truly wanted to be here, or B, you didn't do your homework and make sure that this was truly a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what the answer is for people transferring and things come up, people transfer, mm-hmm. values even change over time, right? Like you can't predict everything, but it's not that you like don't want people to transfer, but like you want them to be in the right spot the first time around. Right. It's great to have that experience. Like if you end up being somebody who experiences that, who decides like, hey, I'm going to make this decision for myself. I'm going to transfer huge learning opportunities for that. I don't think I could ever tell somebody like you missed out on a learning opportunity because you transferred. Right. I think that there's a huge way to learn through that and to become a better person through that. But I also don't think that it's a necessary step in the college process to learn that kind of thing about yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I went to a a camp last week and it was with a bunch of younger girls and one of them asks, you know, can I, could I transfer from division three up to division one? Mm-hmm. And I didn't answer the question um, when the other coaches did, but we made it pretty clear that, you know, it's a commitment. And it's, that's why I try to emphasize looking at the schools, doing the research, self-reflection, enjoying the process, because we want you to stay for four years. As coaches, we plan for that in a recruiting schedule. We plan for that in our team line, lineups. We plan for that. Right. Um, and like you said, I, I totally like understand that transferring happens, things change. And all I want is for these young women to find what's best for them. And if, you know, you try Stonehill and it's not for you or try a school and it's not for you and, you know, transferring is the best option, then sometimes it is. But at the end of the day, we would all love if it was just a four-year commitment and a four-year commitment only. Well, yeah. And I think the other thing that you're you're talking about too, especially with the idea of like going division three and then trying to transfer to division one there's an idea of like, well, you're not getting division one communication right now or not the ones that you want. So you're probably going division three saying like, oh, I'm going to hone my skills. I'm going to get better. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to transfer to that next level. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, what if that doesn't happen? Like you cannot control that process. Maybe the rosters are filled. Like somebody sees you and they're like, yeah, but we don't have roster space. So now did you just bank your entire college career on something that's completely out of your control. Mm-hmm. Like you should still enjoy the experience regardless of where you're at. Yeah, I think the common misconception is, you know, division three is lower than division one. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really big myth, common misconception, something that somewhere along the line, like someone said that, you know, D1 is the highest of the highs, kind of like the NHL to the AHL, but that's mm-hmm. not true. Division three is not the AHL. You can't just get pulled up to the NHL. That's not, that's not how it works. It's right. It's just different. Division three is different. There's no shame in playing division three. There's very good competition in division three. Middlebury just went on an undefeated season and won the national championship. Storybook ending. Mm-hmm. Great hockey. You know, there's a lot of professional players now, even though it was one of the first in the CWHL, but now looking at professional hockey on the women's side, there's more division three players playing professional hockey than ever before. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not, it shouldn't be compared. It's again, it's back to what you want. It's about what you value and division three shouldn't be ashamed, you know, 
you shouldn't be ashamed to go play division three or U sport for that matter. Mm, U sports awesome. And it's growing like wildfire and more good players are going to play U sport than ever before, Mm -hmm. you know, and the coaches at U sport level and at the division three level of all veterans of the game. And they've all been there, which you could say the same for division one. It's just different. There's no, there should be no shame attached to, you know, just choosing what you want. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Stay true to yourself, right? Like, it's not about what other people want you to do. It's not about what your teammates are doing. It's about, like, what works for you, what fits you best, and ultimately where you see yourself enjoying your time. Because mm-hmm. especially on the theme, like, on the women's side, college hockey right now, like, we're working on setting up everything that we can in terms of, like, giving back to the game and creating a sustainable league. But, like, college hockey is the end of the road for a lot of people, and that's what they want from it. That's all that they need from their sport. They want to get through school and that's fine. But enjoy it while you're there. And if you're doing something because somebody else told you it was a good idea, you might want to rethink that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's a really good point. I think like you said, you know, professional women's hockey has come bounds further than, you know, I when I joined the league back in 2015 um it's it's massive and it's just it's just the beginning i think it's going to get bigger and better um hopefully hopefully it gets better um in terms yeah. of the leagues coming together of some sort but um but college hockey is such a cool opportunity not just for us you know grow as hockey players for us to grow as people in this world yeah. good people in this world and especially as female hockey players you know the the opportunities to play professional hockey are are growing, but at the end of the day, like, what are you going to get out of your four years? Like, let's take this four years of our time to, you know, become better people, become better people in our families, our careers, Mm -hmm. you know, and also become better hockey players at the same time, because we're not McDavid. We're not going to make millions of dollars yet playing professional hockey. So what are you going to do in those four years to make sure that you're, you are better than when you came? That's basically, you know, how it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think the next thing I really wanted to talk about is like team culture, right? Because you've, you've been a part of a lot of different teams and developing team culture and you've worn that C on your chest where like that's a primary responsibility of you as a player and as a leader. But now you're like starting from a blank slate. You've got a brand new program coming in where you and Tara are both like setting the ground for what the culture is going to be like. And we've already talked about it, right? Like you're, you're saving space for the kids that come in. What is mm-hmm. their idea? But what does that look like for you as a, as a player first? As a player who's coming into the program? Yeah. Like or as, what a player, as a player in your previous experience, like what has good team culture been like for you? Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Um, that's a really good question. I think, you know, on every team I've ever played for, it's always been a little bit different. Um, I think as a freshman, it was a lot different than when I was a senior at Utica, when I was a rookie player on the blades to when I was a team captain, six-year veteran in the PWHPA, you know, I think it all is different. I think the, I think the one constant thing that I always come back to is, you know, commitment and respect and commitment to not just yourself, but to your teammates. I think that's a huge piece of it. I think accountability is also, also huge and not just from your coaching staff that is, you know, making you accountable to things, but it's your teammates making you accountable. So, you know, when we played for the blades, we practiced twice a week, late night, uh, 10 o'clock at night. And we had two games on the weekend and, you know, no one's around us to babysit us and hold our hand to make us go to the gym or to make us do the extra skates. You know, that was the accountability I felt. And I'm assuming Lauren, you probably felt the same as like, I'm going to go to the gym on my own time mm-hmm. while knowing that the rest of my team is going to do the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, so like that commitment piece is, you know, huge. I think, you know, at the college level, that's easy to kind of work in, and, you know, you're around each other a lot more and, you know, that accountability and seeing other people do it um, is huge. But that's always what I come back to is, you know, the self-accountability that everyone else in the locker room has. Because um, at every level I've ever played at, you know, everyone worked and played hockey just like you to get where you're at. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a cool opportunity to be in a locker room full of people who 
are also working just as hard as you are and also are invested in what you're working for just as much as you are. Um, those are the kind of things that I, I see that build really strong culture is good accountability, solid commitment by everyone on the team, coaching staff alike, and, you know, working in together. Yeah. So for you as a player, it was very much like a lead by example. Anything that you expect um, your teammates to do, like you're already doing it. And also communicating that, right? Like when you said, you know, um, you're making sure that you're in the gym and the expectation is that your teammates are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I had firsthand experience with this myself and witnessed you do it as well, where you know when someone's not doing it and you flat out go up to them and say like, why aren't you in the gym? Mm-hmm. like oh you feel really tired out here like what are you doing what are you doing outside of coming to practice two days a week are you working out yeah and it's it's about being able to have those hard conversations with your peers because you're on the same level right and I think you have this belief to correct me if I'm wrong but if you're a freshman versus if you're a senior it doesn't mean that one is above the other Mm-hmm. you're a team and you all have the same goal. You each have individual goals, sure, and the circumstances are different, but like you're a team and the only advantage that being a senior has in my mind over being a freshman is that I now have knowledge that the younger kids don't yet and I want to share that. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you know what? Living away from home for the first time is freaking hard. And that causes you to lose focus on certain other things. So mm-hmm. like, here's how you can redirect that energy into something else. Here's who you can talk to. Come talk to me. We have sports sites. We have whatever. Um, and being able to share that knowledge is really the only thing that I think separates one from the other. I read this book. Oh, well, I say I read. I listened to this book on my way back from Toronto this weekend. I'm a big audio book mm-hmm. listener, but... Um, it's a book called let them lead. And he, I think his name is Jason or John Bacon. Don't quote me, but he, um, he joined this Minnesota hockey team who was the worst high school hockey team in the nation at the time, hundred, 1,526 place in the country in terms of high school hockey. Oh, and 22. And he joined on the staff and he started their culture by identifying rules by freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And basically the rules were as a freshman, you know, your job Mm -hmm. as a sophomore, you know, your job and you do your job juniors, you know, your job, you do your job and you know, everyone else's job. And then as a senior, you know, your job, you do your job, you know, one else, everyone else's job. And you also help everyone else do their job. You know, it's all about working together. I don't, I don't necessarily, necessarily believe in hierarchies in terms of teams I think it all comes back to what we were just saying it's all about working together but at the end of the day the first thing that these freshmen should know is knowing what your job is and the complete commitment to knowing what your job is and then just having your teammates around you who also know your job and then you know their job it just makes it 10 times it makes it work better Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so as a coach now what are your like primary focuses and you can discuss Tara's as well in terms of like bringing in a culture to a team that you both value because you're going to take your previous experiences from old teams and and also take into account like as coaches what you want to see now what does that look like so funny story when i when i first got here to stonehill um that was always on the agenda we always had like a values meeting where we're going to set aside an hour to talk about values and what we want our teams to be and you know things have been getting hectic recruiting and all that stuff so we never really got to talk about it and then after the u18 world championships were canceled in december tara comes back and you know she's a little bit um I wouldn't say lack of vision. She was just a little bit unmotivated, like needed to get, she was kind of really looking forward to worlds as we all were, and, you know, kind of got shut down. So she, she comes back, she goes, we got to do a retreat. I go, Tara, what do you mean? She goes, a staff retreat. I go, well, the staff is just you and me. She goes, yeah, just you and me. We're going to go on a retreat. So she booked an Airbnb of a tiny home in the middle of Vermont and in January and no, no TV, no cell phone reception just Wi-Fi, and we had this retreat. And for two days, we talked about culture. And one of the main things that, you know, we got, we had guest speakers and everything. It was great. Her dad <laughs> called in. It was awesome. Um, but one of the main things we 
we made is, you know, this is a cool opportunity as a startup program is you know, we have nothing. We're base level, you know, in terms of going to a program like Utica or Wisconsin, you know, there's tradition already set up. There's a long list of culture items that are already established. Everyone's on the same page and you're just coming into it to adapt, you know, and we're starting it from ground up. We get to make it whatever we want. And I think that's a really cool opportunity and something that we really take pride in. And one of the big words that we came out with is legacy, you know, establishing a legacy, manufacturing a legacy that they believe in that when they come back for an alumni game in four years, that they're going to take a lot of pride in what we do. Um, in terms of the nitty gritty of how to, to how to create a legacy, I think that's going to be a lot up to them. We're going to, you know, we're going to have Zoom calls and we're going to talk to them because they are the ones that are going to be creating our culture. Um, we don't necessarily believe in a lot of rules. You know, I've been at programs where we have handbooks. I've been at programs where it's very strict. And, you know, we talk, I listened to your podcast. You talked about dry seasons. I've, I've list, like been through it all. And, you know, I think we want to have them have enough rules or not enough rules so they can be able to learn and grow as it goes. So if they yeah. think, you know, something's not going to help them at, with their athletic performance, if they're not going to do right by their teammates. And if it's not going to help their school out in any way, then they probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, going out late night or breaking whatever curfew or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, that's kind of the basis of, you know, where we're going. You know, we're still trying to work out what we want. But we also want input from our girls who are going to get here in August. Um, but the one thing that always comes back to is, you know, college hockey gave me such a cool opportunity. And it's such a cool time. And the person that I came out of Utica College as, I was super proud of. Mm-hmm. And I want to give the girls an opportunity to have the same experience as Stonehill that when they leave Stonehill college to go do whatever they want to do in this world, they're proud of it. And I think this is a really cool opportunity for them to be able to, you know, come together and establish what they value. Cause I know what I value. I know what Tara values, you know, but I want, they're not going to be able to fully be into what we value unless they have a little bit of input. So we're, you know, we're kind of just still trying to see what they get there, but that's kind of where we're going to go with it. Yeah. I think there's a huge theme with you in terms of like, I am a guide, but I am not telling people where to go. Like you Mm -hmm. want these, you want these girls, these young women to get on campus and be able to create their own legacy. Like you're not there to create a legacy for them. Mm -hmm. And if they are to do that, there has to be a level of agency there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, my opinions on like, really rule heavy schools where like, yeah, there's huge dry season. Players are encouraged to, you know, rat on each other. If someone breaks a rule, whatever. The only reason why I'm not a fan of that kind of stuff is because it takes away player agency. Like I am all for learning how to follow a set of rules and learn how to sacrifice for a team. I get that. I think that you can do that without the confines of like, super strict dry roll season, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the whole goal with college and ultimately growing up, because that's what you're doing when you go away to college, you are becoming a young adult. Like, let's look at this, not as hockey players, but as human beings and human development, the majority of it, like a huge amount of maturity, a huge amount of like finalizations and your like mental growth, your brain anatomy, all this kind of stuff happens within this college age. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to, at least in my opinion, and kind of what it sounds like you're talking about is like, give them the agency to start learning how to do that shit on their own. Mm -hmm. Like we will give the parameters. Here's the expectation. This is the culture that you want to create while you're making your decisions. Yep. But ultimately, like they have to be able to make a decision. <laughs> and they're going to make mistakes. I made mistakes, even with rule books and parameters, like these girls are going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and that's okay. Growth is okay. We will work through these mistakes. I mean, I think, you know, mistakes are good. They're healthy. I mean, we talked about when we on bench playing hockey, you know, the game is about mistakes. There's more mistakes happening in a hockey da- game than, you know, anything. That's when goals are scored. And then people learn from them. I think it's, you know, it's scary to not have a lot of rules because we're going to have 18 freshmen who are going to be like <laughs> coming from living with their parents who have probably have their own set of rules to coming to college, which is a whole different environment. Yeah. But I, I just think, you know, 
you're right. I think it's all about growing up. It's all about becoming an adult. You go to a girls hockey tournament when you're recruiting them and they come to play women's hockey when they come to college. You know, it's, it's all about a growing up process. And, you know, I say that now and I know Tara is probably going to listen to this be like, I can't believe you just said that we're not going to have any rules. <laughs> no, 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 no. Disclaimer. We said rules. Some we rules. said, rules. <laughs> we said some rules. I think, you know, obviously there's going to be, we need to set a line. We need to, you know, establish right from the get go what our expectations are and what we believe is important and ha- hear them out and hear what they think is important. And some things aren't going to align with what they think is important. And if it's not going to help them achieve them go- their goals. And that's probably not something they should be doing anyway. You know, right. I don't think that needs to be a written rule. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tara, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm really sorry. I hope I nailed that for you. <laughs> I, th- I think a big thing about like where we're navigating here is like setting the expectation. A lot of people don't know how to set an expectation for what is again, like expected of these kids, right? Cause they're afraid to put anybody off. They don't want to offend anybody or whatever, but if you can, go in and clearly communicate the expectation and create buy-in by, you know, telling them why it's important, telling them why it's being said, what the goal is with that expectation, then I think that when you have a good group of kids together or young women, they look at it and they say, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe they won't love it all. Like no one, you're never going to make everybody happy. But if they understand the reasoning behind why that expectation is being set, it makes it so much easier to buy into. But I think some people are just like, well, this is my way or the highway, right? And that kind of leadership just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I mean, I just think this this group of this generation that, you know, is coming up in the world, the millennials and was it Gen X? Gen Z. I don't even, I don't, I can't keep up. There's so many gens, but um, (laughs) I'm a millennial and that's, I'm proud of it because I'm not the Lord. But like this generation is being perceived as, you know, lazy and disrespectful Mm -hmm. and not wanting to go by the rules. I think they want guidance. They want someone to call them out on their shit. They want discipline and they Mm -hmm. want someone to be like, Hey, you're not going, you're straying away from our values. Come back. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of want that. If you're a call an elite athlete, mm-hmm. you got to think that at the next level, you want that. Cause yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we're all on the same team here. Coaches are on your team, trainers, teachers, faculty, administration, we're all mm-hmm. on your side. And if we keep you accountable to the values you're going to, and buy in, you're going to succeed. Yeah. You know, I just think sometimes when, you know, we give them too many rules, they can kind of stray. And I think when you give them a little bit, they'll get more room to grow, but they're going to make mistakes and we're going to call them out on them because that's the only way that, you know, we can bring them back in to buy in. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other part of it is too, is like, I love the comment, right? About like this, this upcoming generation being like lazy and they don't want to follow rules and they're trying to do their own thing. And it's, and part of it is I, I, I do believe that like they were raised differently. They grew up on the internet, whereas like Mm -hmm. even us, like I don't, I didn't have a phone that connected to internet until like halfway through high school. Like data was, data wasn't a thing. Like it just wasn't, like I didn't have it. And it counted how many letters you sent a text and billed you for it basically. Literally two, I had 250 characters. Yep. Text. Yeah. And then I only had, I swear to God, I think at one point I only had like 200 texts a month. And I found out how quickly I could go through that Mm -hmm. once all my friends started getting phones. Um, But part of it also is, and this is semi-related, but not really. I'm just going off on a tangent now. Um, What we're seeing in like the corporate world with what they're calling the great resignation, everybody's quitting because they're working for companies that aren't aligned with their values. They're sick and tired of working 12 hour days. They don't want to do it for not enough pay, like all of that. So part of it is like, yes, I think that there is a component where this generation wants everything and they don't want to give anything. Mm -hmm. They don't want to sacrifice anything to get what they want. But there's also like a really empowering movement happening where like our generation and younger is getting into like workforce or wherever they're going. And they're saying like, this doesn't work. 
and I'm not putting up with your shit anymore just because you say so. Mm -hmm. like, you need me more than I need you. I will go out and find another job. So, and that's one of the things that like the internet has done, right? Is it gives yes. us access to the different ways that people do things and people aren't afraid to say like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore because I don't agree with it. And yeah. no, I don't have to do what you say so. Yeah, I think, you know, that comes back to, you know, the um, starts from the top down and it's all about leading by example. I think yeah. that's going to be a huge part of, you know, what me and Tara are building is we want to set that expectation of, of how to, you know, be an adult, we, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, same thing goes with workouts. Apparently we're, we're going to work out with the girls and I just go for runs now, my old lady Peloton workouts, but yeah. um, we're going to work out with the girls. Cause you know, we, we want them to feel like we're in it too. I don't want to, you know, coach them around and tell them what system to run. Cause obviously we're running systems and tell them to do this, tell them to go to school. If, you know, we're not gonna, you know, they see us doing buying it as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's a huge part of it. I think I, I loved, you know, seeing Clausen, coach Clausen at Utica used to go on the runs with us and, you know, it was scary at the time because he used to keep up with me, but, you know, also huge respect, you know, he's putting in the same work I am and whether, you know, you're a coaching staff that, you know, actually works out with your kids, but as long as, you know, you're showing that, you know, you're working just as hard in other ways. Um, and I think kids at this generation really respect that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And that makes me think of like, uh, Mark never like fully came out and worked out with us, but there were a couple of seasons where he ran, there was always an Ironman race mm -hmm. in Madison in September. Um, I think it was September. Yeah. Cause we would finish. So it was a tradition at school where at least one person from every graduating class would do the Ironman spoiler alert. It ended with my class because oh, you gotta do it. <laughs> No, I was not, I was not about to do it. I, don't know. I didn't want to torture myself for like, you could do it. What, what is it? 12 hours of exercise. Um, yeah. Not if you run fast. Well, you know what though? Like, okay. So another side note, like you, you finish a college season and all I wanted to do was relax. Like the, the preseason before my senior year, I was rehabbing a hip surgery and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. Like, I think this is the time now where I'm going to rest and, mm -hmm. I mean, that also didn't last for long because yeah. I playing. Um, but anyway, so like Mark and Jackie, actually, they both ran an Ironman. And our whole team went out to watch them and to support them with any of our other alumni that came back to do it. And I remember that being like a super special thing to see, you know, Mark, who's a legend in his own right, and Jackie, who was like, at times our on ice team mom because she was the female on the ice that we could relate to and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. going through this super hard thing and bringing us all together by like going to watch them cross the finish line was unreal yeah. so i can't even imagine if they came to the gym with us all the time jackie probably would have outlifted all of us she's yoked tara tara said she did it when um she was at bu a little bit i don't know when but um she said it was awesome, you know, working out with the kids. But I think, it, you know, we could talk hours about culture. It literally is so multiverse. Um, you can do so many different things. But there's so many moving pieces to culture. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is I don't think your culture is ever being done, is done being built. It's yeah. constantly changing. And, you know, new girls will come in, in in 2023 and we'll have to, you know, bring them into the loop, but also change a little bit of what, of what we value after our first season. I think that's a cool thing about culture is that it's ever changing and, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to have to adapt and, and our kids are going to adapt and we're going to find our, find our way at some point. Yeah. So if there's like one more thing that you could share with someone who's listening, who's maybe getting into the recruiting process or they're a current college athlete right now, kind of like a nugget of information from someone who's gone from player to coach, what would you share? Someone who's getting recruited right now? They could be getting recruited or they could be in the middle of their college experience, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever works for you. I'll go, I'll go to two phase in this. So if you're a student athlete getting recruited, I think I already said this, but don't stress out too much. I think, you know, the process itself, you know, it gets, it gets stressful, but it's only as stressful as you let it really overtake you, you know, find the joy in it. Um, do your research, reach out to schools. If they don't reach back, 
don't worry about it. They're not going to reach back and it's not the place for you or they do reach back and it might be, but don't stress out about, you know, don't let it ruin your day that you didn't get an email back from a school or a call back from a school or a school didn't show up to a showcase. Take it in stride. It's a learning process. You know, you learn by every rejection, you learn by every failure and you're going to learn by every success that you make. So don't stress out too much. Keep pushing. If you're playing hockey right now, there's so many college hockey teams in division three in AHC or CHA, CHA, oh my gosh, there's so many letters, um, which is club hockey. There's youth sport, there's, and then there's division one. You know, there's so many hockey teams out there that are looking for hockey players. Do your research, reach out to places and don't stress out too much and kind of find, you know, the, the place that fits you. And I think I already said that. Um, but twofold. Second, I think if you're, you know, a graduating player looking to coach, I think that you know, our coaching field, we need you. We need the next generation to start jumping into the women's game. We need your expertise. You know, we need you, your young energy to, to jump into the women's game. I think if coaching is what you want to do, I think reaching out to places is, is huge and there's always going to be a place for you. Um, I think with the way that women's hockey is growing, we're hoping to have, you know, a little bit more of the recent graduates coming into our game to kind of jump in and take over some programs. So there's going to be opportunities. I think reaching out to places is huge. There's always grad assistance opportunities that are offered. If you wanted to do a master's degree, um, just the unfortunate reality of, you know, women's college hockey, um, the pay is not very well, but if you're okay with fulfilling your passion of, you know, keeping hockey in your life and, and, and doing something that's going to change your life. Like it has mine. Um, it's, it's worth it. It's worth doing. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. And the pay comes, the pay, the comes. pay comes, hopefully it will catch up at some point, but yes, <laughs> you just got to put in the, the little bit of hard work, nitty gritty, jumping from job to job, but, um, same go. It, actually, it's so funny. It all comes back to the recruiting process. It's all about what, you know, makes you happy in, in finding something that is for you. And if, mm-hmm. you know, you do the coaching thing and you end up, it's not for you, then at least you did it to try and, and find that out. Yeah. And probably made an impact on some kid along the way too, right? Like so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Well, Megan, I uh, I think that's like an awesome conversation. I think being able to talk about things from both sides and share that. Guess what? Like the values are kind of the same on on the coaching side and on the player side. We often get into this dichotomy of like players versus coaches, and coaches don't understand. I think a huge thing that people can take away from this is that like coaches are just as human as the players are mm-hmm. just as we expect the players to make mistakes. Like coaches expect themselves to make mistakes along the way. And it's all about learning. And if there's one theme that has come through, I think in this talk, it's that if you're doing something, you're one of your main um, goals or one of your your main exclusionary things while you're making those decisions should be am I going to enjoy it or no and if you're not going to enjoy it you really need to evaluate if that is the right spot for you or if it's the right decision that you should be making you nailed it yeah it's all about joy life's too short to to waste time not being happy <laughs> yeah. with what you're doing yeah and it's all about it's all about joy until you're making a team-based decision that may be oh, going out on a Friday night before a game on Saturday. I don't care how much joy that causes you. That no. might not be the best idea. <laughs> and I have to remind myself constantly, even though we haven't had girls on campus, you know, I'm just going to tournaments, recruiting everywhere, getting equipment, planning our schedule out that I also need to find joy. So same goes for student athletes looking for a place. To find your joy, I'm, you know, coaches are doing the same exact thing on a day-to-day basis as, you know, finding their joy as well. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And for spending another hour That was awesome. I'm a huge fan of the pod. with me today. <laughs> I know I already talked to you today for an hour, but I'm a huge fan of the pod. This is awesome. Um, hope everyone enjoys it. Stonehill's first official game is October 1st against UConn. So if anyone's in the Massachusetts Ooh. area, feel free. All right, let's do it. All right.